a Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio, where the past and the future meet the present for a fun mix of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hosted by filmmaker and DJ Roy Turner. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a very special uh, edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I'm very excited to bring this to you. I, I was going to do this earlier. I uh, had a lot of things going on, but what we're going to be talking about this week is all things 1991. And this will actually mark the first time I'm doing an all 90s show. Some of y'all have been, been enjoying uh, my all 80s stuff where we take an entire year of the 1980s and we talk about everything that happened that year that pretty much, you know, we still talk about and or uh, like a bit of a personal uh, people's history. So, I mean, anybody can just pull up a Wikipedia page and go, oh, you know, all that shit happened in 1984. But I put you on the ground. If you were around that time, you can relate to it. If you weren't, you can learn something and enjoy that as well. So uh, let me give you a bit of a, of a roadmap so you can kind of understand my motivation and my inspiration behind doing this. Uh, this might sound a little crazy, a little far-fetched, but, but help me out here and follow along. So in my mind, when you're younger, like I know what 1986 feels like what it looks like it has a color i could assign it a you know its own you know what i mean it's had its own own thing but as you get older it becomes a little a little less defined a little less a little, a little more blurry so i i don't know there was some time around i started the podcast in 2015 and i guess it was uh, as i was trotting along there i realized that like i think like 1983 uh, which is a very important year for me was like had you know 35 years had gone by so I did like an 83 episode and then uh, next thing you know it's you know it's 30 years of 1989 a couple of years ago so we did a 1989 episode so I thought man wouldn't this be so great that now at the turn of a new decade uh, in 2020 See, I thought the word gets a little confusing, right? Because, like, if this was still, like, the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, but once it got to be 2000, what do you call that? And we almost forget that, like, 2000 and 2010s are separate decades, like the 70s and the 80s. And the 2000, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s are also, that's three separate decades. But for some reason, because of the 2000 thing, it all seems to be the same. So... That's part of the motivation. And now that we're in the 20s, that kind of gives it a bit of a, of a familiar tone, doesn't it? So anyway, so what I'm getting at is this, is that so to me, 2020 is 1980. It's 40 years later. So that's why we did a 1980 episode. So now we can just start at the very beginning. So we did that. And then this year, we're going to do 1981 because of 2021. But... 
I had thought, well, gosh, you know, last year was also, it's like 30 years from 1990. And that was a pretty pivotal year, you know. Am I really going to wait 10 years to talk about the 90s? Hell no. We're going to do it now. So so this season, uh, again, welcome, because this is uh, most likely going to be the season premiere. I don't know. you have to talk to the producers. But for, for all intents and, uh, intents and purposes, this will be the season premiere. And I hope everybody had a great summer. Uh, but you see what I'm getting at? So this year we're going to do, like last year we did 1980. This year we're going to do 1981. And we're also going to do 1991. And this is the 1991 episode. And I really wish I'd done a 1990, but I just, I'll leave a little something. So I think moving forward, like next year we'll do 82. And, oh man, I can't wait to do that one. And, uh, and 92. Both very pivotal years of my life. I turned 18 in 92. And I can't wait for y'all to hear the 1981 episode. My gosh, everything that I've ever loved ever seemed to have began that year. From Motley Crue to Van, H uh, sorry, from Motley Crue to Metallica to the Beastie Boys to MTV. So that's going to be a great, great episode. I hope you guys will tune into. So, uh, hey man, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. 1991. Uh, I was I turned 17 uh, in March. And that fall, I would have, I would have uh, began my senior year. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, apparently, my immaturity had some different plans, but uh, I, I digress, and we'll get into that a little bit too. So, again, we're not just going to just click off a bunch of facts that happened um, to relive 1991. We're also going to, you know, get into some people's history, and I would love to know your memories of of 1991. If you were five, you might remember that it was the debut of the Rugrats. If you were 15. You probably remember the uh, the debut, really, of of, of never of, of Nirvana. Uh, if you were God twenty five, hopefully you didn't get drafted, because <laughs> we all know what happened. That good one's going to be a long one, and we're going to have a great time. So anyway, uh, take your medication, uh, hit the restroom, get something to drink, and kick back because we're doing all things nineteen ninety one. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media, our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. 1991, year two in the 90s. 91 would be a time when Saddam Hussein would feel the wrath of coalition aircraft. A king would be beaten in front of a shocked country. We're going to talk about the news, culture, sports and entertainment, and all that was weird in the 90s. Hey folks, Steve Bly here in sunny Southern California, and you are listening to Roy Turner on Tricky Kid Radio, so turn it up. 
Okay, so now it's June 91. Now we're getting into the summertime. We're getting into the the dog days now. It's a young person during the summertime. And man, that was an, a memorable summer, to say the least. I mean, I hope everybody's summer of the, the, of the year that they turned 17. God, I can't spit that out. The year that the summer that you turned 17 should be quite memorable. Good and bad, right? So we were just talking about Clash of the Titans uh something um hang on I'm, uh that month of june like june 25th uh anthrax released uh their attack of the killer bees ep which was god that was the soundtrack that summer um their cover of protest and survive has always been one of my favorites so if you saw during the pandemic you know charlie's been doing such great stuff um he put out a record of all these collaborations um called silver linings and uh, anyway, um, so they also did this great concert um, where they were doing a lot of, you know, celebrating because they're celebrating 40 years. You got to check out our 81 episode where we talk about the beginning of Anthrax. But anyway, um, so th- that soundtrack that year, oh, my God, the remake, of their, they did, a, you know, an uh, updated version of I'm the Man. Uh, and of course, this is where they joined with Public Enemy and did Bring the Noise. And speaking of Bring the Noise, a few threads before we get in, right into the summer. A couple of things. One was, if you can believe it, in May, because you know how the when you watch a TV show, uh, you know, it ends, it starts usually like around after Labor Day, like September, right? And then it begins, or it ends in May. So the summer is just, you know, reruns and things like that so uh for the end of the tv season at the end of may was the final episode of dallas and it's just hard to you know again this is where we talked about earlier about how things crossing over multiple decades because it started in the 1970s and for it to last it's like i just can't remember in 1991 we were still watching dallas not that you shouldn't because i love that show and when you think about who shot jr and all that you think of that as like 85 or 84 it was actually 1980 and we talked all about it in our 1980 episode that you should check out in our archives so they uh, like that wasn't mid 80s that started the 80s So that thing lasted for the entire, one of the few TV shows that literally, like, lasted the entire span of the 1980s. And uh, so that's pretty crazy. You know, I mean, I I just, you know, you don't equate that, you know, that Dallas was still on in the the 1990s. Uh, There also was, if you guys remember, uh, there was a Knight Rider um, revival in the form of a movie called Knight Rider 2000. And I've been looking for that one on on DVD. I don't know if it's ever been been released or not, but uh, that's some funny stuff because it's just funny to think that in, in 1991, Knight Rider was already about a relic because I think it had ended sometime in like in like 86 because Knight Rider actually wasn't on for very long. I think it started in like 83 or 84. It was only on for like two or three seasons, maybe two, only two, which is crazy because it was such a, a massive hit uh, for obviously for, for my age group uh, and of, of boys as well. Um, that April, and I'm kind of skipping around here, uh, I can't claim that I was into this at the time, but something I, I came to much later. 
but uh, in April of 1991 is the debut album from Massive Attack called Blue Lines. And again, I wish I could tell you I was this, you know, super with it, finger on the pulse. And I probably would have been into it if I had heard it. Um, thing uh, of Massive Attack, but that is something that came much, much later. The show is called Tricky Kid Radio. It's not a coincidence that it is named after the artist Tricky, who at the time was a member of Massive Attack. And But I actually didn't really hear of Massive Attack. Actually, I heard Tricky first uh, with his 1996 masterpiece, Premillennium Tension, which Prince famously said, uh, isn't that just a long way of saying 1999? And then I started hearing like, oh, well, you know, he was in this band called Massive Attack. And then they released one of my all-time favorite records in 1998 called Mezzanine. And then I became obsessed. And so it probably wasn't until as late as 1999, eight years later, that I first heard Blue Lines. But it did come out in 1991. Um Okay, so let's get into June, the summer of 1991. Like I mentioned earlier, if you were the summer that you, the year you were 17, I hope it was memorable and messy and awesome and crazy and um, and godly. Mine sure was. Um, so let me get into this for a second. I, I had mentioned earlier I was going to say something about I was saying something about Anthrax and you know releasing Attack of the Killer Bees, which was the soundtrack that summer, and so we had just seen the opening night of Clash of the Titans. But I wanted to mention that uh, we will be doing this show live this weekend in New York City at the New York Comic Con, and I mentioned that on that Attack of the Killer Bees, of course, was the legendary landmark, like. You know, you think of Aerosmith and Run DMC or, you know, some of the stuff that the new metal people did incorporating hip hop later on. But man, Anthrax and Public Enemy brought the noise and it's on that record. And uh, Anthrax, uh, my buddy Charlie, they're going to be uh, at New York Comic Con doing a, a book summing uh, with a full band. They have a, um, they came out with a great, great graphic novel for their landmark record, Among the Living. Um, on Z2, I believe I got it. Anyway, uh, I was very happy that they sent that to me, and thank you guys so much for it. It's fantastic. Each song, uh, they tell, you know, they, they pick a different writer to tell the story and a different illustrator, and and it's a lot of just really people you've heard of that you get it, like Brian Posehn and people like that. So anyway, so that's the book they're going to be signing at New York Comic Con on Saturday, October the 9th. Uh, and again, it is the 30th anniversary of Bring the Noise. Uh, they're going to be part of a panel with Chuck D. It's going to be in room uh, 1A21 at 3.30 p.m. New York time. Um, and there's going to be an exclusive New York Comic Con print signing uh, with Chuck D in booth 3001 uh, at 6 p.m. that day. Uh, we will be there. We will be doing the show. Make sure we'll be doing some live stuff. Make sure you're following us along on social media so you can be part of all the fun. So again, getting into the summer uh, of 1991, uh, how can I tie all this together? Because there's quite a few things I wanted to mention. Okay, one, uh, I had mentioned that uh, we were talking about Greg Bissonette and David Lee Roth at the top of the show with A Little Ain't Enough in my first concert in 1986 at the Barton Coliseum. Well, 
in the summer of 1991, uh, God, I, I was having some problems. I really was. I was having some just some growing pains. Um, I don't want to bring anybody down, and I never. I usually don't talk about a lot of personal, you know, I mean, like super personal stuff, but. I was having a rough time. I had, I had, you know, I was being bullied at school. I was really unhappy, just living in this little small shithole town of Crowley. And you know, I had, you know, I had, I had some some good friends, uh, but even that was starting to not be as satisfying. And I was just being that kid that just, you know, it, it's tough being that age, and you start going through this little period where you don't really know who you are and you start kind of going crazy a little bit and and god knows like i said uh you know discovering the doors and lsd and and all that surely didn't didn't help matters um but it was it was the main thing was i was really missing arkansas which is which was i can remember being happy in a sense because arkansas is kind of considered a place you know to escape from but I don't know. I was just feeling like, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck these people. The last time I remember being happy was when I lived in Arkansas because uh, when we moved to Texas in 87, I was like the spelling bee champion honor roll guy and, you know, and a good kid. And now I'm, you know, I'm flunking out of school and and I'm just, I just wasn't in a good place and uh, emotionally with all that. So... I thought, fuck this, I'm 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 out of here. But what did that mean? You know, uh, so again, this would opens up a big a big left turn here. I'm not going to really get into. So just bear with me here and just tell you that I went back to Little Rock uh, for the first part of the summer, and it was a unmitigated fucking disaster. And I would like to talk about this. Let me say this for now. Um, because let me take a take a, a deep left turn. My, when my wife and I got married in 2019, we were supposed to go to Iceland for our honeymoon, and instead, uh, through a series of, of of unfortunate events, we were unable to go. Flights got canceled, so my wife likes to camp. So we decided to salvage it, and a week later, we actually went to the Ozarks. And I hadn't been back to Arkansas. Um, gosh. Uh, probably since the summer of 91 and and that was only the second time since 87 and you know I didn't you know the Ozarks are way up north I'd never been up there but I asked her I don't know I was starting to feel kind of nostalgic and I said hey why don't we drive through Little Rock I haven't been there uh since then and just you know that that time of your life starts calling you at a certain age in your in your life, and it was really calling me, especially a very specific place that you probably heard me talk about. A place called Greyback. It's a was the name of an apartment complex, and that's where the whole '80s thing, you know, um, where I really really enjoyed and experienced the '80s as a young person, very young person. Okay, I tell you all that because I don't want to disparage Arkansas when I tell you this story because that trip gave Arkansas back to me. I spent 30 years, you know, afraid to admit to people, especially when I lived in New York, that I was from Arkansas and ashamed and 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 probably for good reason. And there's probably not a whole lot to be that proud of when I hear about, you know, what's going on with, with the pandemic and how they're handling it or, or you know, some of the, the, the political stances and things like that. But you know what? That trip gave Arkansas back to me. And I came back from that trip a a proud Arkansan. It it informed me because I've never felt like a Texan. I never felt like a New Yorker. 
And I realized that, man, I'm an Arkansan, a proud Arkansan, for better or for worse, man. Um, so I don't want to disparage it because I'm just, I'm so happy to have that back in my life. Because it's just funny. I, I know it's not there anymore. That life isn't there anymore. But I don't dream of living in New York anymore or Los Angeles or London or what, um, or whatever. Uh, I dream of, I literally dream of living in Arkansas again. I, and I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't because of the reasons I just mentioned. Uh, my wife probably wouldn't be up for it. But it is something I do dream about. Okay. So it was a unmitigated disaster. Uh, I, my parents were divorced. I never lived with my dad. It lasted about a week. And then I went and, um, uh, you know, I don't know. The whole thing just was just... I had long outgrown this place uh, and you know where I was staying and who I was staying with was just this horrifically uh, dysfunctional thing that I was just like what have I done but I did need to get away and I tried to make it work for as long as I could and I was there for about a month and if any good thing came out of it was that I did get to go back to Barton Coliseum that's the point of this whole thing is that, uh, and I didn't even really think about it until I was doing the show, was like, yeah, I guess that was the last time, you know? And I think about myself being at Barton Coliseum as practically living there because we were, we were there like once a month for all the wrestling events. But I realized that this was only the third concert that I'd ever been there for. Again, David Lee Roth in 86 on Eat Em and Smile, Motley Crue on the 4th of July on the Girls, Girls, Girls Tour. And now, four years later, uh, on June 19, 1991, I saw Queensryche, which oddly the suicidal tendencies opening um, at the Barton Coliseum. So that's um, that's a big memory for me. That's that's a that's a big deal. Uh, I remember so much happening just like that that week. That is so such a big deal in the world that we still talk about. Uh, Michael Jordan won his first uh, part of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, won the NBA Finals that week. I was a, I'm a massive, massive NBA fan, especially the Bulls, especially then. And it was also Magic Johnson's last because you know they beat the Lakers. And I think it was like the next day was when Magic Johnson announced he he was HIV positive on the Arsenio Hall show, which was also a show I, that you know we, we didn't miss. So uh, just a lot of stuff happening there just that, that week. Do you know what I mean? And let me take a quick turn. If you have not seen The Last Dance, which isn't really about 1991, but it's it's about the final time, uh, but everything that leads up to it, that is the greatest documentary series, on not just on sports, on anything I've ever seen. I can't believe that it exists. And at this gold mine was sitting in a vault for 20 plus years if you i don't even i don't care if you don't like sports or basketball if you like humanity watch the last dance you won't regret it it's unreal good okay so uh but i i actually have great memories of going to the barton coliseum that night you know and so now i really felt like okay i am back in arkansas man and doing the thing because as silly as it sounds it's like i'd kind of forgotten about david lee roth as early as 88 
and he came through uh, you know I, you know I was living we were here in Texas now after 87 but when I think about him playing the Barton Coliseum in 88 and me not being there uh, I don't know there's something about it just that gives me a, a sense of loss um, which it shouldn't but anyway I digress so okay um something uh, I'll show you what I'm getting at June the summer I'm gone and right before I left actually beginning of that year actually something pretty pretty amazing happened was okay so me and Steve and Chris were in a band and you know, like a metal band and we were just we're jamming in a small town and and uh, when I had first moved to Crowley in 1987 the very first people that I met um, were this older brother, uh, these two brothers, and it was just weird because, like, in '87, and for a small kid, you know, from a kid, a small kid coming from a small town in Arkansas, I didn't know people that were actually musicians. You know, musicians were people you saw on television; they they, they weren't your neighbors. You know what I mean? And I surely wasn't the only one that felt that way because you know it was kind of like a deal, like, hey. And their names are uh, Jeff and Chris, and they had a lot, another Chris to add to the mix to, to, to confuse you even further. And uh, and it was a big deal. Like the neighbors would like, just like sit outside the front of their house and just hear them jam, you know, from the window. And uh, so anyway, so the people we were staying with, our house was ready, knew knew the these brothers, and so I, I became acquainted with them. And then I guess when our house was ready and we moved, I, I, I never saw them again and didn't, didn't really think about it again. Fast forward uh, now, uh, almost four years later. Now, keep in mind, this is four years is ages 13 to 17. It might as well have been 103 years. Uh, Steve and I are jamming, and all of a sudden this guy... Um, just kind of hops the fence. I lived in this, you know, had this house in a big, big, massive backyard, and we would jam in this tool shed in the back, kind of like a storage unit, tool shed, whatever you want to call it. And this guy just hopped the fence and knocked on the door and just wanted to know what we were about. And come to find out, it was Jeff from four years ago. Again, small town, not too many musicians. And the funny thing was, was that he was just on the phone with, I think, his brother or, or Keith or a friend, of, a friend of ours and looking for a bass player. And suddenly, like almost like heaven sent, he hears a freaking bass jamming. So he came over to check it out. And uh, by that summer, we were all thick as Steve's. And Steve is kind of in their band now. And I'm uh, reacquainted with Jeff's brother, Chris, who uh, is became one of my absolute best friends. He was the, the best man in my wedding. Um, I just, when I mentioned hanging out with Greg Bissonette on uh, Sunday, Chris was right there with me and uh, a great drummer in his own right. All right, so uh, so by that summertime, this was a very, very exciting time. Um, Jeff lived literally around the corner, had his own much better uh, jammy uh, space there. And then this is where we met. We met Keith Raiden. So I, I met Keith. I got reacquainted with Jeff and Chris Adcock and met Keith Raiden's um, all lifelong friends. So this was a this was a big big deal. And me being gone for a month that summer it seemed like I was gone forever. And I remember um, I you know we were like we were texting or anything or messaging each other on Facebook. I mean I was gone, so we had no contact. And back then you couldn't you know. 
call long distance and and to show you how close we were i knew obviously i knew when steve's birthday was it was um the first week of july and i remember getting a man i gotta call him and he hadn't heard from me in a month and i, I remember um going to somewhere i forget it was like somebody's relative and i was like can i, I need to make a long distance call can i you know back then that's what you had to do you know you had to wait till after a certain time and make it quick and all that and I remember calling Steve on his birthday, and I guess that would have been his 17th birthday. And uh, he was like, "Where the hell you been, man? Like, what's like? Are, are you living there? I thought you were just like gonna go away for like the weekend or like a week or something. Like, you know, what's going on?" And uh, and I, at that point, I was I was ready to come home for sure. So, and after that phone call, um, it was very pivotal because it was kind of like, okay, you know, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to get back. And when I did, I remember the first thing. Remember that little worm I was talking about that, that got me to sleep, uh, you know, sleep in the parking lot uh, in his car to camp out for tickets. Well, the very first thing he said to me when I came back was, "Yeah, man, since you've been gone, I took your place." And I was like, "Motherfucker, I'm irreplaceable." And uh, and he learned that uh, the hard way and 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 almost immediately. Okay, so I digress. I sound so bitter, don't I? Anyway, so I'm back, and the very, very first thing that, again, that all kind of happened in that space was, again, that Queen's Rock concert, my last time at Barton Coliseum, come to find out that same day Sonic the Hedgehog is released. Because when I got back to Texas, Steve's older brother, Kenny, had gotten a Sega Genesis, and had Sonic the Hedgehog, and that was, again, Anthrax's Attack of the Killer Bees, and the Sega Genesis was that summer for us. Because again, you know, we're still fucking kids. Chris and Jeff were were already, you know, uh, God, I want to say in their early twenties, and Keith, I think, was already like 27, 20, whatever. These guys were, you know, like like five to ten years older than us, and we were just kids, you know. And there's Steve, a seventeen-year-old guy, we're trying to sneak him into the clubs to to get him in. Uh, but that was an exciting time. It opened up a, a whole different world for us. Suddenly, those musician guys were now around the corner again and you know my best friend was in their band and uh and now i'm kind of like the roadie and and i'm getting drum lessons from chris and um it was a very pivotal pivotal time and like i said meeting keith radens who was a once in a lifetime friend and a once in a lifetime human being to to you know to meet him by extension, we met a guy named Jeff Satterley, who's just still one of the craziest motherfuckers I've ever known. And he was in a band called Mumbledy Peg. So now it's like, you know, we've never been to a club. I mean, fuck, like I said, you know, we, we could barely have barely left Crowley. And uh, so they didn't really have their first gig until the fall. Um, but man, that really, really changed a lot of things for us. Suddenly, you know, like we're going to clubs and. And at that time, the what we learned then also, I guess what you could say, um, was that by, by doing that was it was the first time that we saw a band called the Toadies and got to know and meet them uh, who were just now also just kind of getting started. They were, they were kind of hot shit on the scene, but like really only in Fort Worth at a club called Mad Hatters. And, um, and you know, Jeff... I think like had loaned that that club, which kind of became a restaurant shortly after with live music, like their PA and stuff. Um, and uh, so it was just 
one of those things, man. It was just like, um, it was growing up. You know what I mean? It was, you know, again, we were still excited about, you know, baseball cards and, and comic books and gosh, still am. But do you know what I mean? Like I, I, uh, it was, it was just such an awakening for us. And that, and that suddenly became our lives was like, you know, live music and being part of this scene and, and that whole thing. So, you know, so getting to, to see the toadies and, and meet them, um, uh, and become friends with them and be a part of all that just from the very, very beginning. And I'm still great friends with those guys 30 years later. And the club was run by a guy named, named Kelly Parker who lived right behind, he literally lived like literally behind the club so his house was kind of the de facto kind of backstage so you would go to kelly's house and hang out and uh his gal melissa would kind of like cook uh like food kind of like you know sing for your supper kind of style and then when it came time to play just walk out the front door and literally walk you can't even say a block you would you'd walk 20 20 yards 30 yards uh to go into the club uh, and so now, you know, I'm hanging out with older people and I'm being a part of this. And those early Toady shows in 1991-92 are some of the, the most fun and memorable moments of my entire life and youth and adolescence. So, uh, again, the summer of 91, man, things were really starting to heat up. That didn't happen really until the, that part didn't really happen until the fall. Um, okay, so now uh, I might actually play... Um, Maybe because I've got I've got some old stuff, uh, from you know from the toadies and stuff that, you know it's it's funny here they are still putting out records and every once in a while they'll still put out, you know one of those songs they'll slap one of those old songs onto their newest record I think the most recent one had broke down stupid on it. and that song is from that time it came out, you know five years ago but that actual song is like thirty years old, uh so maybe I'll drop an old toadies track like before we get out of here to talk about 1991. All right, so now we're into July. So here's the di dichotomy. Here's the, now we're doing adult shit, but now there's also introduced cartoons that people talk about. Doug, the Rugrats, and the Ren and Stimpy show all aired for the first time that July. And in the movie world, you know, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier about, of course, you know, the L.A. riots and the Rodney King verdict and things like that. That July, freaking Boys in the Hood movie with Ice Cube, just to give you an idea of what the atmosphere and what the environment was like. And also a great summer blockbuster that same week of that uh, Boys in the Hood debuted at the movie theater was Point Break. Everyone knows that with Keanu Reeves and and um, Patrick Swayze and and you know and all that kind of the young dumb and full of cum you know, line that everybody uh, said uh, forever. <laughs> um, and then uh, some dark shit uh, turned that summer turned pretty dark as I you know we worshipped Mike Tyson like God we watched all of his boxing matches we had the you know who did not who doesn't still love. Mike Tyson's punch out for the for the for the Nintendo. Um but on July 22nd, literally the same day, the same day. Think about this. On the same day, July 22nd, Mike Tyson is arrested and charged uh with the, an incident involving Miss Black America contest uh, contestant Desiree Washington. 
And that same day, Jeffrey Dahmer is arrested. Like, that was the news that day. Ah, oh, man. Jeez. Oh, pizza. Uh, so things got, you know, a little dark there uh, in a hurry. And now, if I had to say anything that when I think about 1991, and then I know there's a lot of people out there in the music world, this is the JFK moment. This is the, this is the, where were you when, you know, this happened or when this went down, if you were of a certain age and of a certain interest. Uh, I mentioned earlier, this was probably the very first time and, um, that we'd ever had camped out for tickets. I mentioned earlier too that, but the, the time that I remember of I've ever like knew exactly when a record was coming out on what day and like, you know, uh, I'll get around, it's like they're going to sell out of it, you know, I'll get around to it that day, that weekend, that week to buy a record. No, we have to be, we, like, like the demand and the anticipation where like some record stores were having like midnight sales and we had to be there, you know, as they open. And this, of course, was, uh, and I can still remember the date. I didn't have to even look it up. Is I remember on August the twelfth, nineteen ninety one, Metallica drops their legendary, infamous Black album. And to say that you know, I guess let's see what. Um, 88. So this had been like three years since Injustice for All. And I went from, from ages like, you know, we went from ages 14 to 17. And I think that by now, I mean, I could be, I, f I feel like we maybe we hadn't yet moved. But something else pretty, pretty heavy happened in 1991 was my family left Crowley. Uh, Chris Todd had left the year before 1990. But we still stayed in touch, of course, uh, as much as we could. And now, uh, 1991, now the, you know, the second of the three musketeers, I have left to, to go live in North Richmond Hills, pretty much down the road from uh, Chris Todd. So, but I remember that Chris was already driving and me and Steve were not. And I, I don't think we had moved um, to NRH just yet. Because I feel like, I feel like that, you know, I feel like that we went out, yeah, that's what we did. I feel like that we, me and Steve went out to Chris's house and we spent the night so we could be there and wake up the next day and we went to Northeast Mall, my mall, where Chris and I both eventually worked and lived and shopped and I still go there every chance I get when I go visit my mom who still lives in the area. And, uh, and we were there. And instead of being like some big line, there was really nobody there. They had this countdown calendar. And for the longest time I had, like they hadn't yanked the last day. Something like, like it was like, let's say 30 days, 29, 28. I had like the number one from the calendar. I mean, they had just opened and I took it. And we all got our copies of the Black Album not knowing what to expect other than the fact that there was a new Metallica record and they were our entire lives. They were literally our entire lives. And I can remember going back to Chris Todd's apartment and sitting in his room with him and Steve Ainsworth and listening to this record that meant the world to us. You know, who could have known 
30 years later that this is still like the largest selling record of the Soundskin era. Somehow this thing still moves like a couple thousand units a week still and still going strong. And uh, we hated it. <laughs> we didn't hate it to the point where like, oh, what the fuck has happened? And, you know, you know how people do those things. You know, they, they, they take it so personally when as a young person, when your favorite band takes a different direction or makes some decisions for themselves that they find to be smarter and who gives a fuck and they don't owe us anything. You feel betrayed and let down. And, and if you didn't stick to some silly ideal that in our 17 year old 1991 brains, you know, you know, again, obviously, it wasn't the thrash from before. It wasn't as heavy. It was, you know, polished. And when we heard nothing else matters, we were just kind of like, what the fuck? And and um, and that whole thing. I've actually come... I, I still have a bit of a love-hate thing with it. And not for those immature reasons. Um, I... You know, you, you hear those songs. Master of... I mean, sorry, Master of... Uh, Inner Sandman... Uh, sad but true and nothing else matters I, I don't think they've played a show since then without playing those three songs so you, I, you know, you've been beat over the head with those songs for 30 years I have no reason to revisit them um, we have a great playlist I wanted to tell you about 1991 and, it's in the, and so where I, I only pick songs from 1991 and the, the two songs that I picked from that were The God That Failed and uh, The Struggle Within two reasons not to be some cool guy who likes to deep tracks but those are the songs you don't really hear as much especially the struggle within and uh, those are the two songs that i always just kind of liked you know um but i wanted to tell you as if you need me to tell you this but man the stuff that metallica is doing to celebrate this release is unbelievable like for us we would think like you know you would you would really whip out the big guns to celebrate you know the 30th or the 40th of of master of puppets uh because those were our records but you know so you're thinking man they're really pulling it out for the black album well yeah that's that's how you know this band has been able to you know really you know stick around i mean i mean like i mean i mean that that has this that album alone is an entire career that has kept them afloat i mean of course they've made records since then and done tours but i'm just saying like in terms of if they never made another record again they could still have toured just off of what that record brought to them as a as a as, a, as an audience as a new audience but also just the money that it's made you know and so they have done incredible stuff not to mention just you know the the big you know release uh re-release but they did this thing called the Metallica playlist where they got like all these other people, like like 50 or I mean, like Elton John and Miley Cyrus, and then they're doing these special shows. And uh we were supposed to be at Riot Fest in Chicago and and didn't um for different reasons. And then like the day we were supposed to be there, they announced they're doing a, a secret private show. Or actually not not even a not even a secret or private. It was open to the public. If you happened to be walking by the metro and had twenty bucks in your pocket, you would have seen Metallica that night in a club, man. And how cool is that? And that's what I'll say th about that too, is that Metallica gets it right, especially for their fans. And you can say it's because they've got the money and the resources, but you know what? So does the Michael Jackson estate, and they have consistently fucked that up. Um, everything that has been involved with the Michael Jackson estate to do like cool shit for their fans to celebrate stuff has always been a fucking joke. Metallica knows what they're doing. 
there's like pop funko uh stuff there's the metallica playlist there's the re-release there's this giant box set there's a great they've included jason newstead uh, as part of the festivities, there's a great unboxing that he did. He's a weird dude, by the way. Like, I love him, man. But, man, he's like, ah, he's a little strange. Anyway, uh, so what they're doing, there's a Metallica podcast dedicated just to this. Uh, there's a thing on Apple TV right now. I mean, the celebration that Metallica is doing for the Black Album is literally... Like, I'm loving what the Print Estate is doing right now, like what they did with uh, 1999 and, and, of course, last year's uh, Sign of the Times. Uh, was that already Was that already last year? God, it seems like it was. Maybe it was already this year. I can't remember. Yeah, I guess it was. I got it for Christmas last year. Yeah, okay. But I'm telling you, I've never, ever seen anybody roll this out, you know, like this. And uh, and just they, just, they get it, man. They get it right. They do it right uh but that is one of the greatest like if anything when i think about 1991 that's what i think about i think about you know the formation of anorexic cafe and getting back with friends with jeff and chris adcock and steve joining the band and um and i think about you know of course us moving to you know leaving crowley and you know, and a ton of other you know different things, but that you know, of course, is the is the one that sticks out. Other than a, other than of course, another record that came out, if you can believe it, just a month later, uh, and that we're about to uh, to jump into now. Okay, so imagine this. Imagine you're 17. It's 1991. Metallica has just released their legendary Black album. The world is changing, you know, it's a new decade, sides are being chosen. That same month, that same week that the Black Album came out, Nintendo releases the the, the upgrade from our beloved NES as the Super Nintendo. This kind of power, this kind of challenge, this kind of flying, crashing, feeling. When you decide to get serious, there's only one place to come. The games of Super Nintendo. No one else creates this kind of experience. Because no one else creates these kinds of games. Now you're playing with power. Super power. Here, right now, to my left, is a Super Nintendo. Now, it's not my original Super Nintendo that I got for Christmas that year, uh, just a few months later after it was released, which was amazing, and it was like my entire life. Uh, but I love this thing that they've done where they have where they have come out with what they, they call the minis. So I've got the mini NES, and now I've got the mini uh, Super Nintendo. And so, you know, the whole thing, you don't have to, you know, buy all the cartridges or find them and, and then hope they still work. And remember how you had to blow into the cartridge to get it to work and all that to blow all the dust out. It just, it just looks like one. And then you port it into, uh, onto your, you know, you just plug it into the wall and then uh, via HDMI goes right into your TV set. And it comes with about 30 games, but I tell you right now, the thing is designed to be hacked. Because there's like 500 megabytes of empty space on there. What's it doing there? 
it's like you know what these people are gonna you know people are gonna hack this thing anyway let's just give them the space to do it instead of us having to spend all the money on the licensing and blah 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 so my super nintendo has been hacked to have almost the entire uh snes uh lineup i think i've got something like 350 games on there and to be honest i play like four of them regularly uh my little boy miles loves it and uh but what's cool is some of those popular games are actually hard to get now and like for example like uh zombies ate my neighbors what that's still a great game because a lot of these games are kind of like well you know well, how's this? I never became a gamer after this. So it's not like I'm comparing it to my PlayStation 15, whatever the fuck is out now, because I, I really didn't go past this. Chris got a PlayStation, and I have the mini of that one. Uh, but that's where it stopped. I never had a GameCube or a Nintendo 64 or whatever. It all, it all, that was my last system. So for me, it's not like, oh my God, how, 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 how did we ever play this? This is so bad. Uh, in the way that I kind of do some of the uh, the Atari twenty six hundred games because I've got the I've got the, the I guess you would call the mini of, of that or the they call it the flashback anyway uh, but man zombies ate my neighbors my little boy Miles loves it so much he comes into my office and he'll go it's Miles's turn I go is it Miles's turn so he'll hop on my lap and uh, he loves all the sounds like when the kid is jumping up and down on the trampoline he'll go trampoline he's jumping. And uh, there's a lot of the sound that he likes to do. I actually included it into a, a birthday video for him. I do I do birthday videos for my children every year that that captures just stuff from that year, like I'm doing right here for 1991. I do it in video form that captures everything just from that year of their growth and interest. And there's part of the the uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors game where it sounds like this monster is saying bromp 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 so i always say miles you got the bromp 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 and then he always says daddy you got the bromp 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 so uh if you check out our my youtube channel uh it's on there and it's it's a lot of fun so black album and super nintendo i mean 1991 kicked ass man i mean there's still like so much that we still use and enjoy and love that all like started like that year uh a few other things began and also ended uh in september uh, one was the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Uh, uh, bye bye. <laughs> uh, but also E News uh, debuted. Uh, Minnie Pearl had her final appearance on Hee Haw. Hey, we're talking about Dallas earlier. Isn't it crazy? We were still watching Hee Haw in the early '90s. That's a crazy ass show. It was. If, if it seems weird now, it was weird then. I remember my dad. My dad likes country music and. And I do too. I done the outlaw country stuff, and and now I have such a great appreciation for that stuff, especially the again the outlaw stuff like Waylon and Willie and and all that. Back then, it was just seemed like just old folk shit. And and uh, but the show was was entertaining, but very strange. And it's like something you would imagine people watching like in maybe like you know the late seventies, but the early nineties. Wow. And I think that you know that what and it kept going. I don't that was that was just her last performance. It wasn't the end of the show. I think it kept going for a couple more years. Uh, but Ric Flair debuts in the WWF, and that was a big, big moment in my life, man. Now it's time, live and in living color, the greatest 
world heavyweight champion in the history of this great sport. And it's my pleasure to introduce, you got it, the real world's champion, Rick Flair. The world know that the real world's heavyweight champion was going to be coming to the WWF. For 10 years, it's been two names, Hogan and Flair. Hogan, the WWF champion, Ric Flair, the world, the real world heavyweight champion. So Ric Flair is now in the WWF, uh, which, you know, sooner led to my favorite Royal Rumble ever. And a lot of people's, you know, favorite. It was the 1992, which we'll be talking about next year. Uh, Dr. Seuss on September 24th. Uh, he died at the age of 87. And, of course, we all know and love and still love all those stories and movies. And I, I remember being very sad. But, you know, 87, man, that's, you know, that's a, that's a great run. Nothing to be ashamed of there. And But I remember being very sad about that because um, I remember hearing about it on the news. And, you know, like everybody else, I grew up with that stuff. And especially, you know, of course, the cat in the hat and, and, um, and you know, of course, you know, the Grinch around Christmas time and stuff. Uh, but then something began five days later, uh, and this really changed. You know, I get annoyed when people go, "Oh man, you know, Nirvana changed everything." But it it, it was a different world on September 29th. The Smells Like Teen Spirit video debuted, and and I don't know if when I saw it for the first time it was that day, but I can remember clearly, like watching MTV and this came on and with the cheerleaders or the tattoos and the punk rock and, and that was also one of those where were you kind of moments uh, and then the next day at school it was all everyone it was like instant it was instant like it aged everything that came before it that day that's that's hard to to um, to articulate uh, and to illustrate because I, I get annoyed. I love Nirvana. I love this record. I was a part of that. I was a young person. Um, and what a great time to be a young person. Um, I also love hair metal and still do. And so when I hear about, oh, man, you know, Kurt Cobain put all those fucking hair metal guys out the pasture. Well, fuck that. You know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, maybe some of that stuff needed to be given a bit of a wake up call. And, and, and maybe some of that stuff should have shook, shook some things up. And it's great that there was something new and exciting, but it doesn't mean that suddenly I can't listen to my fucking Motley records or, or won't or didn't, because I very much did. And I and I, it's funny because I I look back on it now and I love the all the revival now because I just saw Sebastian Bach on on Friday and I would you know come see Rat and and gonna see Motley. hopefully that stadium tour happens next year. So, you know, as much as I was a part of this movement, and because that's really what it was, what it felt like. It didn't feel like a new band. It felt like a new something, you know, uh, greater than, than it was. And then, of course, uh, you know, the album that it comes on, the legendary, the landmark uh, album, Nevermind. You might have heard recently in the news, not to repeat a bunch of crap, but the, the kid that's on the cover, I guess, is now, you know, 30 and broke and... And, uh, you know, and I guess he's, you know, living at home and everybody else has got money. I need some of it. So now he's claiming a bunch of, you know, uh, really crazy stuff that it's, it's very, seems very transparent 
Uh, I love the way Dave Grohl is handling that, and uh, that would be weird if that, you know, because you always will equate it with that cover. So it'd be kind of weird if future copies of Nevermind didn't have that and that motif based upon somebody else's. It's just those things you can't control. It's like when they when they made made that record, they made the record. They probably didn't even think about the cover, and then when it came time to do that, some guy to label hired this photographer guy who knew somebody who had a kid that fit the thing, and the whole thing lasted thirty seconds, and now. 30 years later, there's going to be a court case about it. That's just madness. Um, but uh, the legacy of the record will uh, will always will live on. I mean, that's something that's just... And it holds up, man. I hadn't heard it in a, in a while. And so I, I was listening to it on... The thing that I want to mention next is there is... I put together, again, this great 1991 playlist uh, on Spotify, which is great. I used to do this before... Uh, back in the day, I would make these year specifics, and it would always would be crazy because you know you have to only fit 80 minutes onto a CD. Once it's there and the order is there, that's it. What if five years later I got turned on to something that came out that year? I want to add to it. So originally, I had some rules. You know, I was like, well, I'm only gonna. And I kind of tried to think about doing that as well with this playlist because I wasn't in the massive attack in 1991, so that wouldn't really be a fair, uh, you know, interpretation of what I was into in 1991. But it also seems kind of criminal to leave it off, right? How do you make a 1991 playlist? So I decided, fuck the rules, man. I'm going to put what I was into and also what I later got into that might have come out that year it's all fair game and you should check it out too so if you go on uh to spotify i'm actually going to bring it up right now so you can kind of see so i uh of course i have all of our podcasts on you know on the air course tricky kid radio listen to right now prince the encore should be checking that out we even have an uh an after party now called After Dark, which is really cool. Uh, and of course, my my DJ mixes are on, not on Spotify, but they're all exclusively on the iHeartRadio app. And then of course, we now have This Is Wrestling. So lots of great stuff. We just had Jasmine St. Clair on our wrestling program. So pretty cool there. But I believe that the, that the playlist is actually under just my name. It's just under uh, Roy Turner. So just type in... Uh, 1991, all things, it's called All Things 1991, and it should come up, and I wanted to kind of give you an idea of what to expect. So let's see here, uh, just kind of go over uh, a few things here. Let's get, let's get into it here. So of course, you know, we mentioned at the third, third time of the show, of course, David Lee Ross, A Little Ain't Enough, um, and then, of course, you know, uh, Van Halen with her F-U-C-K uh, fuck record. I wanted to mention very quickly, today is the one year that we have been on this planet without Edward Van Halen, and it'll never get easier. Uh, my wife said that she's never seen me more upset, and I don't think I ever have been, than when that news came. And we're going to be doing a special with lots of special guests, kind of like we did with, with uh, Neil Peart. Uh, it's called Diver Down, The Life and Legacy of Edward Van Halen. Uh, it'll Part 1 will be debuting next week. I Make sure you're subscribing. It's free to subscribe, and you don't want to miss that. Uh, you know, lots... So saying, it's kind of like, the, you know, never mind, and all this, this stuff comes in, but a lot of people were still kicking ass. Rush released Roll the Bones that year. Um, uh, let's see here. The Stones had a new record. The, you know, Tom Petty with... 
into the great wide open. I mean, Ozzy kicking ass with no more tears. Uh, I, I'm not the world's biggest Guns N' Roses fan, but of course, you know, the use your illusions. You still hear that all the time. Uh, you know, just so much, you know, debuts, again, I mentioned earlier from Cypress Hill. Uh, and lots and lots of great stuff here. I'm, I'm, and I was going to get into, I was going to talk about this maybe a little bit later, uh, but two very major big records from Michael Jackson and Prince we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and, you know, again, a lot of that's that fun, silly 90s stuff that I still love, like, you know, um, you know, yeah, unbelievable from EMF and right here, right now from Jesus Jones. Of course, we, we already talked about all the Seattle stuff, like, you know, obviously, never mind. Pearl Jam's 10, Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger. Uh, just so much great stuff. Fugazi's um, Steady Diet of Nothing came out that year. Um, really the last Pixies record before the reunion with Trump LeMond. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. You know, lots of lots and lots of cool stuff. Uh, Wings the Pod came out in 91. So, so make sure you, ch- you, you check out that playlist. Next week on Tricky Kid Radio. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by The Buck Pets, original score by Jocelyn Hunt, artwork by Antora Sandy, marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.